Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is sponsored by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts and vehicles, coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years, means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello friends. And welcome to Dr. Rudy's noble pilgrimage around the Atlas to herald the Pacific gems of the brewing galaxy, aka the Hot Four podcast. While you're trying to count how many hot varieties I packed into that welcome, I want you to think about the top three locations in your country when it comes to beer and breweries. You may live in the United States, so I'm sure San Diego, Grand Rapids, Portland, Seattle or basically any city in Colorado immediately spring to mind. Perhaps you're tuning in from Europe. Bruges, Munich, Copenhagen or Prague would be obvious choices. Or like me, if you live in the UK, you're probably thinking of cities such as Manchester with its many breweries cosily nestled in railway arches, London with its diverse and vibrant beer scene to rival anywhere in the world, or Sheffield, the Caspian capital of the United Kingdom. Sorry Norwich, but it is. What you're probably not thinking is of the fantastic breweries and locations that don't spring to mind first and foremost. An example would be Coniston in the Lake District. If you've ever had a pint of Bluebird Bitter served on cask at the Black Bull Inn and Hotel, you'll know what a sacred experience and place that little village is. Usually, if we go off the beaten track a little bit, both physically and metaphorically, we'll quickly uncover a hidden gem just waiting to be discovered. One such brewery is Devon's Utopian Brewing. Having received an email out of the blue from the team asking if they could send me a little care package, er, uh, yes please, within a day a box of classy looking lagers arrived on my doorstep. Now, I must confess, I'd never heard of Utopian Brewing. And I like to think I keep my ear to the ground as far as breweries are concerned, but Utopian were totally new to me. Immediately, I was smitten, for two reasons. Firstly, I'm a lager nut. It took me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin, especially when out with other craft beer drinkers. But when I finally got over my own sense of self-inflated ego, while brewers, bar owners and beer fans would bring lambics and barrel-aged imperial stouts to bottle shares, I'd rock up with a great continental lager. There's nothing better, in my opinion, than the technical prowess of a brewer who has mastered lager styles, the unintrusive multi-backbone married with a subtle bitterness from floral hops, 
all underpinned by a clean fermentation profile. When done well, a genuine work of art. And really good lagers from independent UK breweries are hard to come by. I'm thankful we're starting to see some good examples in the British beer market and that the style as a whole is gaining the recognition it deserves. But I've tasted some awful attempts, some from well-respected microbreweries. However, these were utterly utopian. Absolute banging examples of brilliant lagers. But there was another reason that utopian brewing quickly won me over. Their simple generosity. Like many outliers, utopian brewing happened to be in the right place at the right time. Until this year, this 20 hectolitre brewery, located in picturesque Mid-Devon, was relatively unknown except to their local market. However, while lockdown saw many fumbling around for what to do next, it provided the perfect canvas for Utopian to reach out to and connect with beer writers, broadcasters and make new friends in the industry. It wasn't too long after my care package arrived that photos of the unfiltered British lager, which I'm drinking right now, the crisp, clean Pilsner and absolutely divine Dunkel surfaced on Instagram feeds from my fellow podcasters such as the Sheffield Hopcast, Beer With Nat and the Beer O'Clock Show. Not long after that, breweries up and down the country were issuing care packages of their own to people like me, all of which have made a lasting impression on me for taking the time out of their busy schedules and sending me free beer. But Utopian seemed to be the first to the post and gained a lot of traction as a result. As somebody who consults and works with beverage companies on branding and marketing for a living, it was a stroke of genius on their part. So while Devon may not be the first place that springs to mind when you think about independently made craft beer in the UK as a whole, I'm sure Utopian Brewing certainly will when it comes to lagers. I was keen to find out more about Utopian Brewing, so I connected with Richard Archer, the company's managing director, to find out more about the brewery, the beers and how lockdown has been for them. Now, I must be upfront, the audio quality in places isn't amazing and up to our usual standards, but as they're based in Devon and the signal isn't always great in the middle of the countryside, I'm sure we can be forgiven. So before we tune into this week's discussion, I want to tell you about another brewery who are brewing some absolutely fantastic versions of classic ale styles in this week's... Now, like me, you'd be mistaken for thinking that Lincoln Green Brewing Company are based in Lincoln, but actually hail from Hucknall just outside Nottingham, which was a great surprise when I'd geared myself up to visit my Auntie Suzanne in Saxelby as part of my round trip, only to discover that Google Maps was taking me the wrong direction. Apparently, Lincoln Green is the colour, or supposed colour, of Robin Hood's tights. But I wanted to give A massive shout out to Anthony and the team at Lincoln Green who are making some absolutely fantastic cask ales and bottle conditioned beers. Do you know after you've had a few cans of hop juice or face plucking sours and you're like, you know what, I just want something beery in a pint glass. Well, Lincoln Green make really great solid beers, including Archer, which is a Chinook and Citra hopped American pale ale that really does punch above its weight for a 4.0% beer. 
Tuck, which is their multiple award-winning 4.7% porter, and several beers you can only pick up from their brewery that are, in keeping with this week's theme, Hidden Gems. Now, if you're near the brewery shop, then you definitely need to bag yourself a bottle of their Weizenbock or their whiskey cask-aged Robin's Redfest. These are two of the best beers I think I've ever had. Seriously, they are amazing. As I said, hidden gems. So head over to lincolngreenbrewing.co.uk and follow the links to buy their beers online or swing by their brewery shop to bag those hidden gems. I can guarantee you won't find a nicer and more genuine brewery in the UK than Lincoln Green and they are working really hard to defend independent beer through great organisations such as Seba. So that's lincolngreenbrewing.co.uk and pick up their beers today. And while you've got Tinterweb open, that can visit hopforward.beer and take a little look at the work we did for Lincoln Green on our website, see their beautiful shiny labels and all that stuff. Uh, follow all the action on social media at Hot Forward Beers and make sure you connect with us on our Facebook group if you haven't already. Right, oh, I've already had two Utopian beers this evening, including their stunning new Vienna Lager. Um, literally recording this hot off the heels of their online beer launch and I'm off to get another one so while I do that you can crack open a beer of your own while we dive into this week's discussion with Richard Archer Managing Director of Devon's Utopian Brewing Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by Richard Archer, who's the Managing Director of Utopian Brewing in Devon. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. The sun's shining. Um, it's not too wet. We're busy. Um, county lines going full throttle, so um, I have to go and help the boys out later on. But so, yeah, no, all good. Cool. Do you, do you have a county line of your own there, or do you get people in? We do. It was... Um, it was fortuitous in a way, and um, Vigo, who we bought our brewing equipment off, have been great for us um, right from the beginning, really. And so we started doing quite a lot of contract work, um, sort of tail end of last year um, for a, a big brewery, or bigger than us brewery, that would be very big to be bigger than us. Um, but they do a lot of small pack, um, and we always had small pack in our in our mix, and we tried a little bit with um, kind of mobile contract canning and, and found that fairly tricky to be honest um so it was kind of on the list of things that we knew we needed and then um Vigo came up with a great deal for us where we could do a kind of rent to buy arrangement with right. them so maybe we could get right. the line in a bit earlier and have a scale that made it um sensible um so we've got a um a five heads abe cannon line which if <laughs> If you run it flat out, apparently it gets up to 2,000, but we do about 1,800, 330 cans an hour through right. that. So right. um, I think we've got about 13,000 to do today. So Yeah, so there's a lot, lot of breweries yeah. moving to can at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, it's an interesting debate, right, the can bottle thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I know you're on the pod with uh, with the guys from Budfire and you were talking about a kind of 90s laddish lager culture. and Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, maybe not so much in the, in the younger generation, but in, in, you know, kind of my age and stuff, 
I think there was this thing that lager was in a can was what the what the drunks had in a paper bag in the park and um, you know super strong cheap lager and and I think that stigma has taken a long time to kind of wash off really um, and, and probably the craft beer movement has been great for that in terms of you know a lot of beers a lot of interesting beers going into small pack a lot of really interesting and you know, clever, creative stuff done with with can design and, and artwork and stuff, which which has kind of brought it back. Because I mean, can, can you know, it's it's a great format for, for packing beer in. It's, yeah, you know, it's got a bit in a bottle, so there's still a little bit more chance watching. But but it you know, it keeps great in a can, and and I think it looks great on the shelves, and it's really lightweight to move around, so it's more sustainable, and and we like that. So yeah, we 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 we're really happy that we're we're in that format. Um, plus, you've got the advantage of not sending a beer across the country and it's smashing, which I've had yeah. so many deliveries from breweries recently trying to send bottles and most have failed because, you know, what if one bottle in a case of 24 breaks, the whole package is put on hold or returned or whatever. Yeah, no, we sent out about, I don't know, 450 parcels, I think, Um through our shop and and bits going out to to bottle shops and stuff and and I think we've had three back that where you know there's been damage in the container and that's really you can see when the car goes back you know it's got a big smash in it they somebody's dropped it mm-hmm. um, drop anything from a height it's going to break um, but yeah they they are really resilient I think and that that certainly helps um, in these times when you know it's been all about courier companies and and I guess. Um, relying on those guys to, to get it around in, in cardboard boxes so yeah that's been it's a big change for us in terms of the volume um, that we have to do quite quickly but yeah can works yeah. I think it's interesting yeah. as well you know the because um, the, the, the thing about can and, and people saying oh it doesn't taste as nice in a can um, this is a really small sample right so I'm not trying to suggest that this but if you look at untapped, and I think brewers only brewers only look at untapped when it's going in the upward direction, and then say it's <laughs> rubbish from downward one. But but um, if you think about it, in the last two months, you know all our production pretty much is all our drinking of our beers has been done from a can, um, and our brewery and all our beers have increased their rating on untapped in that period of time, and and actually quite substantially. And um, yeah, there's probably some other reasons for that, maybe, but but um, you know, I think that kind of buries the myth a little bit that that beer doesn't taste great out of a can because yeah, it clearly can. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's real perception when it comes to bottles and cans. Um, y- you know, I, I know I've struggled with uh, my beers being in bottle as opposed to can, but more with the beer styles I was brewing um, mm-hmm. th- than anything. It's a tricky one, and it's a conversation, particularly at the moment. Um, now, a lot of people are forced to go to small pack, and a lot mm-hmm. of brewers, are predominantly being cask and keg-led breweries, are now sort of thrust into that position of having to wrestle with this problem all at once. Um, yeah. I, I definitely want to, won't want to be in their position at the moment. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I, I, I think that's that's absolutely true, and. Um, Yes, I mean we measure, but but yeah, having that that you know, having the line in place in sort of November December, and then doing more uh, kind of runs on the contract side just to get used to the kit. We were kind of ready to go, and and um, 
you know, we had our... It's, it's silly little things, you know, which don't sound very silly, but, but you know, you've got to get labels designed and then you've got to get them proofed and printed and then get them to the, the bottle companies or, or get a bottling machine. And, uh, you know, we had challenges with that ourselves because we weren't expecting the volume of small packs to pick up so quick. And, mm. um, you know, when we first locked down... Um, you know, kind of early March. My fortunately, my my grown up kids were had come to visit because it was my birthday, so they were kind of staying with us. Then they were locked down, um, and um, and we had some blank cans, but and we had some labels, but we needed to get one onto the other. So we we didn't have a labeling machine, and so we kind of went onto eBay and found this thing from originated in China for three hundred quid, and bought it as my kitchen, and my kitchen became the. Um, the kind of master <laughs> centre of hub of, of labelling cans. So, um, but, but it's not trivial. You know, you, you've, you've got to deal with all those all those things. And, and at, at the moment, you know, and I'm not just the only one seeing this. I'm sure. Um, yeah, you're starting to see now scarcity of supply in in some of the can formats and. Um, you know, even, you know, cardboard box suppliers and all the things that, that you know, you just kind of take for granted, uh, you start to see um, becoming difficult in the supply chain. So, you know, things carry on like this for much longer. I don't, you know, I think that's uh, that's another thing that people have got to factor into the, to the overall mix. Um, so j- just going back a little bit, talk to us about Utopian Brewing. How big is the brewery? What kind of setup have you got, amount of team and so on? So um, I, I guess you type in room. We, we I've worked with a really good friend of mine in the pub business. Been in the pub business for quite a long time in various guises, and a very good friend of mine, Steve Cox, who's got um, you know changed the pubs, and I've worked together for probably twenty years um, on and off. And we always kind of hankered this ambition to to have a, a some form of production. We looked at buying a an English vineyard at one point. Um, but we've always hankered after having a brewery. And so we started really thinking about it in, in, in again in properly in 2017. And the original plan was to look at doing a site in, in southwest London um, in a pub in Merton that was kind of needed something doing to it. And it was fun. Well, we were the details, but the Merton planners didn't think it was quite such a good idea as we did. Um, so hence and also we we'd made the decision that we wanted to brew lagers um and i'll you know we can perhaps cover that in a bit more detail later but but so the idea was that to, to do lager and then to do lager you need lots of space i knew devon this part of where we got family down here and i thought well it space would be easier in devon uh, and cheaper so we started looking down in this part of the world and, and sure enough it's cheaper um it's lovely we live in a couple you know, live and work in the countryside with dartmoor in the distance and big green fields around and uh, but most importantly big space so we had two two barns side by side one of them already had chilling units in here it'd been used previously for processing vegetables um so that was a good start um and and just a big shed and um, nine meters high in the middle or something um uh, and a big concrete floor so it, absolutely perfect in terms of um, most of the things about the location um which was great because the other thing that you know i did a lot of planning with this you think about it, we started in 2017 and we started brewing in march 2019 so we spent quite a lot of time thinking about it and looking at it and talking to people and the one thing that became very clear to me was if you're going to start a brewery you want to definitely build the biggest one that you think you can afford and then try and find some more money and, and build a bigger one because 
you know, it's just littered with scenarios of, of brewers that just run out of capacity very, very early. Um, and it's not just the fact that you have to replace your brewery equipment then, it's all the ancillary stuff, floors and chillers and boilers. And so, so we wanted to, to be as, as big as we could get to. And, and so we went for a 35 hectolitre brew house. So kind of 20 UK barrels. Um, we had a, a combined mash ladder, um, which is great for the lager side. Uh, two kettles. Um, the reason we had two kettles was that we want to be able to brew twice a day. Um, so then we can brew it to one kettle, brew it to the second kettle. Um, and then a combination of um, fermenters and conditioning tanks. At the moment, we started with um, effectively 17 brews worth of, of fermentation and cellar space in a combination of doubles and singles. So some 35, some 70 heck. So we can double brew into a big tank, um, which is yeah, it's great for economics. It's great for it's great for the beer actually. It kind of even stuff out. It's got more space to, to move around in, less transfers, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I guess we're probably the capacity of that now is probably a, if you use it flat out just for lager, it's probably about uh, seven heck. And then we've got the space and all the chillers and everything. So effectively double that takes to about thirty four tank worth of space which then gets us in the brewery as it as it is without needing to do anything else in the core to about 16 and a half 17,000 heck a year I guess so so that's kind of us um, in terms of the kit um, we bought all that from it's ABU kit from the US supplied to us by Vigo um, another Devon company which is really nice um, they've been great um, and I think uh, yeah so a few things we might have done slightly differently um you know we designed that brewery pretty much before uh jeremy swainson our head brewer joined uh, and there's a few little tweaks i think that he, he would have made if he'd been around but but nothing major it, it works great for us um we produce you know hopefully some decent liquids out of it so talk about how utopian have quickly become known across the uk thanks to word of mouth marketing from podcasters such as myself because um i know you i got an email from ruth that works there saying oh we're listening to the show we'd love to send you some beer it's not like um you know quid for pro it's just like we just want to send some beers out and i was Mm -hmm. like oh free beer from a brewery you know i I never get free beer sent um which which has changed since a lot yeah i know i know it's 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 changed a bit since the lockdown but some breweries have been great but um yeah um but um you know i'm gonna get hundreds of requests yeah so i I got these cans like, oh these are great you know and then um i noticed on the podcast sort of twitter as it were um you know like like steve from beer o'clock show or matthew curtis and those other sort of beer writers like oh they're all getting them as well um was i mean i thought it was a stroke of genius because all of a sudden everyone's talking about utopian brewery i'd I'd not heard of you before um i mean was that a conscious decision because if it was it was total stroke of genius um when, when i would imagine a lot of breweries kind of went into like I'll better kind of hold on to what we've got because we might lose it. Yeah. Whereas you took the kind of opposite uh, thing of like, let's be generous. Let's just kind of show the love. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the few benefits of being old like me is, is, you know, you've had, I've had quite a lot of general business experience. It's not just about brewery experience. And, um, 
you know, I've been done lucky enough to, to go to some, yeah, some great learning institutions to, to learn about some of that stuff as well. And, and um, the, the thing about crisis or, or challenges or big inflection points like we hit with, um, with the virus is, is if you just sit and do nothing, then it, um, it's highly likely that nothing's going to change. And, it, and if your own market's just been shut down, if you do nothing, your market's just shut down. Um, so I'm much more of a view that, that it might not be the right thing, but and it might not work, but if you don't try things, uh, it's more likely you're going to be yeah, in the Einstein view of, uh, of literacy, which is you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Mm. Um, <clears throat> which So so it's very much about right, what can we do to, to try and try change the game a little bit and put ourselves in a different place. And um, so it's very nice to call it so it, it, it just felt pretty pretty obvious thing for us to do. You know, Ruth had joined, she's furloughed now, unfortunately, but for for a while, but hopefully not much longer. But you know, Ruth had a, been in the beer industry a long time, she's got a great rep, she's got lots of friends in the industry. So, you know, we had a good list of people to 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 kind of communicate with. Um, and it just seemed completely obvious to me, right? There's a load of people that love beer, that love writing about beer and love drinking beer, sitting at home with pretty much nothing to do apart from drink and write about beer so why don't we try and see if they can say write things about our beer and um, so um and actually in the bigger scheme of things it, and, it, and actually you know history now sort of suggests that that it in terms of the, the coverage that we got off the back of that if you costed that up as a marketing campaign to try and pay for it as direct marketing it would have cost us a lot more than the beer mm. So it was. It was pretty. It was a pretty easy decision for us. There's, there's, there's use this opportunity. So we're going to need to be in small pack. We're going to need lots, lots of people drinking it. We knew that, um, or hoped that we didn't know, didn't know anything. I think when we were heading into this, if we were honest, what, what, what the outcome was going to be, or the situation was going to be. But we needed to, to try and get our small pack business going. And one of the ways we could do that would be to energise our web shop and get people to come directly to the brewery. We were going to do that. People needed to know about the brewery, and so we just needed some signposts, really, some people to point things towards that space, and um, and, and and so that's what we did, and and that worked. I mean, but fundamentally, underpinning all of that, we can talk about you know the, the great steps of doing things in marketing. Ultimately, the liquid's really good, and I know I'm saying that, and I'm biased, but our liquid is good, and. We're really proud of it, and Jeremy and and his team in the brewery do a fantastic job brewing great beer. And it's a lot easier to send that stuff out and get people to say nice things about it if it's really nice beer. Um, so, so yeah, that 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 to me is the is the kind of key thing with that. That um, if you've got a nice beer, nice product, send out somebody that says a nice product. Right? It's not that not that hard. You're not asking anybody to do anything uh, anything other than just be honest. Um, so that's been good. Um, and I, yeah, I said nothing. It was certainly you don't really know what's going to kind of happen. I mean, our web shop in um, and this is I mean, it's totally typical of lots of breweries. Right? Everyone has a web shop, and nobody used to buy direct from from breweries web shops. Um, that's fortunately changed. Um, I think in January and February we took six orders um, in total. Um, through our web shop uh, and then I think in, in May we did 350 or something so um, yeah that was great um, that, that's been a, a lifeblood to us I think um, 
you know, independent bottle shops have got have got to know about us now, and and again through that same channel, I think, um, you know, those guys uh, in a craft world particularly, but just in general beer, I'm kind of struggle a, li- a little bit with the whole kind of craft word, as I'm sure lots of people do. You know, they're just they're just shops selling great beers and wines and all sorts of other um, other drinks to their customers and and uh, so they've seen it i think um they've seen the the the, the chat around the, the beers and and have tried it out and then their customers buy it and like it and come back and buy some more so they want to buy some more so um yeah that's uh, that's been great for us too that that segment um has been very supportive of, of us and I'm sure lots of other breweries and and you know them being able to stay open um, and to keep that channel going was I think is you know so important to us. So let's talk about lager. Why have Utopian decided to focus on lagers and ones particularly made from entirely uh, British ingredients? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, kind of related, not and um, to the thing. So, the lager thing is um, is is kind of interesting. But I guess the simplest answer to that is that probably in, in beer terms, though Steve and I would probably drink more lager than than anything else. You know, I kind of like different beers, and I wouldn't have called myself, um, you know, kind of a real beer enthusiast if that makes sense you know I, I like drinking in pubs and I love drinking nice drinks but um, kind of I quite like the style that was one thing um, and, and and the second thing is that and this is important we, we're we're trying to create a brewery to create a brewery but we're also trying to create a business you know we, we crowdfunded we've got investors we're here to to make a profit ultimately and and and, uh, and so when you look at the market Three quarters of the country, or, or, or thereabouts, the volume drunk. Maybe that changes a bit in different segments, but it's something like that. About three to one um, of beer consumed in the UK is lager. So, um, if you're going to set up a brewery, you know, forget all the arguments about craft and this and big beer and everything else. If you're going to start a business and you look at a market sector and you go, well, I'm going to choose a product that's in three quarters of it or a quarter of it. Yeah, it seemed pretty logical to try and go for the three quarters bit. That's not to say you can't do all of it, because of course you can. But, but again, the other thing that we'd seen was the 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 other segment, if you like, the kind of craft IPA, the ale segment, is very very congested. Um, there's a, a lot of reasons for that. Is is got momentum behind it, a lot of interesting styles in it. But but I think. Yeah, it, it, you don't need the same things as you need for a lager brewery. You know, we talked earlier on about needing lots of space and lots of tank, and our beer takes nothing leaves our brewery that hasn't been in, in tank for four weeks. Um, yeah, that's a big challenge if you're working in a in an archway in Shoreditch. Um, so, so there's a lot of people don't do lager because of those sort of just physical things that you needed. And so, when we're looking at this in 2017, there just weren't many people really focusing on that segment either in the independent segment if we call it independent rather than craft you know um yeah there's a there's a there's some that have been around in that space um and for for a while um and doing good stuff but but a handful really and you know lost and grounded were just probably kicking off and cotswold have been there um but it but it was 
a very different segment in terms of the number of players in that market. So we sort of saw that it was a good segment to go in and one that we would kind of quite like drinking. If we could make decent lager, we'd kind of like drinking it. Um, and so that was a good thing. Um, the the reason for British ingredients is slightly different. I have an absolute passion to and, and, and a, a desire to make this brewery as, as sustainable as we can and that's challenging in breweries because you use a lot of energy and and you create a lot of waste and just not just in grain in, in water too um, so it's quite a challenge to do that but we want to do that and so British ingredients does that right it's just less food miles we just don't ship product our ingredients all around the world. Um, so the question then was, could you make great lagers with British ingredients? And the research that we did on that was there was absolutely no reason why you couldn't. Um, it's just that nobody probably done it before. Everyone had assumed that if you want to make a Hennis, you have to use Noble Hops and Hennetau. And, and if you want to make a, a Pilsner, you have to use SARS. And I, I hope we've sort of, to an extent, proved that that's not the case. Um, you know, our, our, our Pilsner gets really, you know, quite good credits. Um, and, you know, its hop flavours come from Jester and now a little bit of Olicana. And, and our, um, you know, our, our British lager, the Hellis style, is, is effectively using EKG, East Kent Goldness, to, to kind of replace the sort of noble hop. So, so, it was, so it was really done to start with in terms of the sustainability piece, but then... It becomes a kind of a, a, a differentiator, something that, that's a bit standout that, that hopefully makes it a little bit more interesting. Just to, you know, what, oh, something to talk about. It's a talking point. Um, and, and, and I said to Jeremy when we first kicked it off, you know, that this is really what we want to try and do, and, and we want to really have a go at this. Um, if it proves too hard, then we'll rethink the strategy and we'll, we'll see if we can, you know, recut the, the model a bit. Because we never really knew whether we could do everything that we wanted to do in that way. But Jeremy was, was fantastic and said, no, 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 we can do this. That's exactly what we're going to be. We, we, we want to be, um, you know, seen as British lager brewer and, and those two things, you know, being seen together. And... You know, who, who is it? You know, where do you go? You look around the shelves and, and you see all the different international lager brands. And, but but there's there's never really been a, you know, a, a British lager brand, I don't think, in, in, in the same way as, as, you know, Stella or Heineken or, or San Miguel or Estrella or... <coughs> um, so so we kind of thought there's a, there's a, a kind of gap there that we'll try and fill it. And... and so Jeremy was really confident that he could do that, and and, and that's what we did. Yeah, we've we've now done a, a Dunkel, and we've just done a Bock, um, and we've got some other things coming, and, and all those all those beers will be brewed with British ingredients and only British ingredients. So how difficult is it entering the lager category, especially when many pubs and bars have lager lines tied up with? global brands yeah. such as Carlsberg, Carling, Heineken and the like. I mean, obviously at the moment with everything that's happening, obviously you're selling direct to consumers more packs. So, <laughs> but you know, we, we, as and when, you know, looking into the crystal ball, when people return to the pub and, and maybe dr beer drinking goes back to normal, whatever normal <laughs> is, was, yeah. um, you know, like you're up against these massive global brands like, like, how difficult is it for a lager brewery like yours to 
to then sort of slot in and and offer an alternative and uh, I guess a, get more of a foothold in the market. Mm-hmm. Really tough. Um, the, the the toughest thing um, I, I think that, that we had to face, and um, for exactly that reason, right? That you, that you mentioned, and the the you're up against all the big all the big guys, um, and they protect their their keg lines pretty strongly, and they have a lot more money. Um, a lot more noughts actually on the end of their amount of money that they spend on marketing brand support. The other thing though that is equally difficult, which is kind of the unseen thing that when people talk about getting keg lines on the bar, it's not actually now quite so much about just the front side of the bar, it's also what happens in the cellar. Um, and the big breweries locking up sellers um, on the maintenance contracts and on the seller support services side. Um, and that's just not the ju- just the big guys, the really big guys either. That's the bigger regionals are doing that now, you know, saying to publicans of freeholds, oh, you can't put a different beer. If you put that beer on that line, uh, we won't be able to maintain your seller. I mean, it's appalling really. Uh, uh, and, and, then they could, and they could say, you know, let's talk about, you know, they should charge a lot for lines and, and and we get that and i think that's fine and we we contribute to that and we'd, we'd, we'd happily pick up a, the cost of um you know sensible costs of maintaining that stuff but that's that's a big challenge i think for independence in terms of um and the more of these big mergers that go on the harder that gets because the more protected the more lines they'll be able to have under their own umbrellas and the more protected they'll get so it is difficult um but, but I think what we were able to do and where, you know, independence and, and this market down here was good for us. Um, local's good, right? So we, and it's interesting, you know, people say, oh, we've never heard of you. And, you know, we're in Devon. And if you're in Devon or Exeter or Plymouth, there's a reasonable chance you would have heard of us because, um, you know, we got huge support from locals, local pubs, country pubs, big pubs, in the city pubs, extra pubs, um, in the independents. Um, and I think we would, we, in the first kind of nine months, we were in about 100 sites and 65 of those or so were buying regularly. Um, and we shipped, I don't know, two and a half thousand or something, 30 litre kegs in that time. So that's kind of what's 100,000 pints. So, so there was quite a lot of our beer drunk in this part of the world, um, but it was very local. And, and it works quite well in that space because you can go and talk to the people and they can feel attached to the brewery because you're never more than probably 50 60 miles away um you know ruth's um big challenge and and, and i think why we you know brought ruth on with a you know great kind of track record and experience in 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 national beer world was to now start breaking out of this uh, out of devon steve's obviously got some pubs in london and that was great we've been listening in those we got into a few places in Bristol, um, but it's now how do we energise the wholesale route, and how do we get some of the medium-sized independent chains and stuff, and, um, and and start to break out. And there's, yeah, you can try and find good things out of everything. Sometimes the, the, the last ten weeks when we've been, you know, largely selling small pack through. Look, uh, independent bottle shops and online 
lots more people have drunk our beer in lots of different parts of the country. So yeah, now we have, you know, a fan base, if you like, in 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 Sheffield, people that are drinking our beer in in Liverpool, in Cambridge, in you know other parts of London, and and so hopefully that kind of generates its own its own bit of momentum as well. We get a bit of pull off the back um, because without question. Um, whilst small pack is good um, to to grow and to keep moving forward, we desperately need cake business back in. Um, we need the volume from from cake business, um, and and we need to be able to expand that much broader now than just being in in the southwest. So, yeah, the, the biggest challenge I think for us um, going forward will is is exactly the point that you make. You know, taking on the big guys on the on the kicker. Talk to us about the Mybok, um, because you did that beer for the Devon Community Foundation Coronavirus Response and Recovery Fund. I mean, why did you firstly decide on that particular beer and how the donations helped the charity so far? Yeah, no, great. Um, so, 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 Bot was, um, yeah, Jeremy trained in, in Germany, uh, he's a British guy, but, but, did his apprenticeship in Germany in, in the north, uh, in Mitchell and then mastered at Munich. Kilian, who's our second brewer, apprentice is a German from Munich, and he apprenticed in Bamberg. Um, so when you got, you know, two guys with that kind of heritage, they just, we've all just wanted to brew a bock, right? I mean, that was, um, there was nothing that was not going to, we were always going to do it. It was just going to definitely happen. Um, and, um, so kind of early part of the year, January was a disaster for everybody, like it, you know, like, like, like it always is. Um, worse than I thought it was going to be. But anyway, um, so we got to February and we thought, actually, this would be quite cool. We'll, things are ticking up. We're now trying to break out. We've got Ruth on board. Let's do the bot now because it'll be a really nice thing in the spring to kind of springboard us out into the national pub set segment. Yeah, you know, give us something that's really interesting to take into a lot of london big site pubs and, and that was the thinking um you know it would be great and it would give us a sort of a springboard push and of course by the time we brewed it and it was ready to pack we were in the middle of lockdown so that was a big change so we had to work out how to do that in into small pack um and as we were doing that um you know, i talked a lot about you know sustainability and 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 the, the importance of local to independent breweries and and we think that's an obligation that we have to give some of that back to. We get support from those from from the local community, and it's right that we should try and um, um, and be giving that back. And we try and support, you know, little things locally in in terms of charitable support. But with with the Bok, it just seemed just felt right that that was a really kind of special thing that we could. It was a, definitely be able to be a premium product, so we'd have some scope in that to to create some funding for charity. Um, and uh, there was a lot of stuff going on, good things going on around that time in terms of big, high-profile campaigns for big national charities um, and, and, yeah, and astonishingly raising money for what well, I thought was supposed to be government-funded organisations, but that's a different um, a different point. Um, we, so we could see all that going on. It was very high-profile. But, but in the community, as everyone knows, the, the things happen at a local level are just as important, but they really rely on on a lot of volu- voluntary support and local people to support them. Um, and all those things are dried up too, right? There aren't any 
village fates. There's no fun runs. There's no bingo. There's nothing of that. That that all got shut down. So all those people that genuinely rely on that that kind of funding and that kind of support um, just well, lost everything. Really, they 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 they've sort of shut down. So. So I did a bit of just research around, and, and while we ended up work, working with the, 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 the Community Foundation in Devon, and there's community foundations all over the country, I think there's 46 or something of them, um, they're, they're all like an aggregator, really. They're like a portal um, that, that takes money in, and then they know where to put that money best. So they know the local voluntary organisations, they know where the support's required. Um, and I could never work that out. Um, It'd be really hard for me to pick. So working with with DCF, it meant we could kind of raise money, give it to them, and they'll distribute it um, around the, the the most needy causes in in our local community. The people that were so supportive of us when we were starting out um, by by buying our beer and, and listing our beer in their pub. So um, that's where we came to work with those guys. Uh, yeah, they're great. They've raised millions of pounds. They've distributed millions of pounds already. And the other thing I liked particularly about the approach and why we put specifically into the coronavirus fund um, is, is they, they refer to it as their coronavirus response and recovery fund. So there's an immediacy kind of things that need to be done now, but they also have very big focus on, on the next phases of this. Yeah, this doesn't stop when pubs open again. It doesn't stop when, you know, lockdown or, or social distance becomes a meter. This has got a long time to run and the recovery from this will take a long time. Um, and these guys are in it for the long term. So so we'll, we'll definitely support it through the block. And, I, and um, you know, I've talked to Martha, the CEO, and it's something that I think will continue for, for the long term working with those guys too, because it's lovely to be able to, to, be able to give something back. Um, and, and so as we were thinking about that, that's where we came up with the rainbow thing. It was a bit of a play on the, the rainbow, which which had become kind of symbolic, um, I think, with, with, with saying thank you to people that, that uh, are putting themselves at risk uh, and for us, and, but also to all those volunteers and, and helpers that, that are, are keeping our communities um, safe and, 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 and continuing to operate. So... So that was that was uh, rainbow, really. Mm. It's a pretty good beer too. Man. It's an amazing beer. Um, I was absolutely blown away by it. I was I was very gutted to have missed the uh, online tasting thing, um, just because of yeah. um, the the kids going a bit nuts on that evening and needing all all hands on deck here. Um, but you know, I, I mean, everything about it, the the label, you know, uh, I was going to touch upon this earlier. Actually, the you know the logo. Is is great because obviously you talk about British ingredients and so on. I love how you've captured that um, Royal Britannia, but with sort of beer references mm-hmm. in it. I mean, that's just a stroke of genius. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the the the, the beer is such an amazing beer. You know, I was I was it's, it's one of the highlight beers I've had this year. I think. Um, I mean, just just talk a little bit about internet beer tastings and and the thing you did on Zoom, just for anyone that might be unaware of that. And do you think um, whether that's going to become the norm for breweries to help build their their fan base, quote unquote? I, I mean, I certainly think it's um, it's another it's another mechanic, another method that's opened up. Um, I don't. I mean, he said, I hope it does. I, 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 
I, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I hope it doesn't completely replace, um, you know, tap takeovers and, and beer launches and tastings and meet the brewers because in, in real life, because yeah, that's fundamentally where, where at some point we want to kind of get back to. Um, but again, I think we talked about right early on about inflection points and changing behaviour and, and altering the things that we do and modifying them to uh, to the circumstances the environment around us. And I think it's a new thing um, that's been added to the to the toolbox. And I think it's it could still be really valuable. Um, so. So, you know, whilst it would have been lovely to have been in a, you know, London pub or extra bar or whatever, launching that beer, um, it was equally good that people from all around the country um, that wouldn't necessarily be able to make it, that might have had another appointment to go to at seven o'clock or take the kids to school or whatever, or, um, to, you know, to the, to the concert, and that, that everyone could join in and participate. So it does, I think it, it, it it makes things more inclusive um, in a bizarre kind of way. And, and um, I think that's only good. So I think we'll use them again, um, for sure. Um, irrespective of lockdown, I think we'll, we'll, we'll try it. Um, you know, technology is not without its challenges. I mean, my laptop crashed in the middle and, and um, you know, fortunately, um, you know, we got a fabulous team and, and, and you know, Ruth was on, um, and Jeremy and you know they picked up the plate and, and ran with it and got my phone back on and and we picked it all up uh, almost seamlessly. So yeah, technology is a bit of a challenge for that I think and um, you know, it's quite difficult um, to manage the two-way flow of information. You know the kind of communication part of it I think um, so that you get a kind of discursive element rather than a a preachy kind of presentation style. Um, but again, I think people generally are probably getting better at that. Mm. Just from everyone mm. doing it more, you know, even when, you know, we have a Friday night session at, at the Utopian where we just, you know, get after work drinks on a Friday. Um, a few people come along and, um, yes, have a beer and a chat after work, right? Where Friday night is what we do. Um, and I think lots of people do that now. And so our, our ability to interact over a screen with nine windows on it or something is, is probably better. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll use them again for sure. I think it's nice that you can, you know, that that kind of national basis, you know, people from all over the place being able to take part um, is a really is a really good thing. So uh, I, 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 just even just for that reason, you should, we should carry it on. Yeah. You talk about sustainable brewing on, on your website. Um, how difficult has it been to set up the brewery in a sustainable way that's eco-friendly? And how much investment mm-hmm. have you had to make in your brew house and systems, for example, to generate your own nitrogen, for example, rather than buying yeah. CO2? Because as you, yeah. as you said, um, you know, it, it, brewing really isn't very eco-friendly. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think as you know it's it's hard to ignore through the whole coronavirus pandemic all the data that's coming out saying the environment's starting to recover you know and the last thing i think anyone wants now given that we were sort of heading towards a, a catastrophe which would dwarf mm. what we're experiencing is now on that knife edge is like we maybe we can actually pull this back because i think before we were like yeah we ain't going to pull this back we're going to try but everyone's too set in their ways whereas we've, we, we've been forced to hit control and delete 
and we've got this golden opportunity. So, like, just talk a bit about how you set up Utopian Brewing to be eco-friendly and sustainable, and then maybe give some advice to some brewers listening to this, think who who maybe are wrestling with that. How could we do it? What little thing? Where can yeah. we start? Basically. Yeah, no, great. I mean, I think that's a great point, right? And I, and um, and I, you know, I talk about it every minute, but I, but I just want to stress my, my total support for the point you make about the, the way that the, the the planet appears to be recovering, and a lot of people told us we couldn't do that, and 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 we definitely can. So, um, yeah, that should be encouragement for everybody to think about actually is worth is really is worth continuing with this. So, so but in terms of the brewery, it. There's there's a, there's there's some things that you can do early doors, and I think there's some that are, you know the the capital requirements for some of the things that you need are just too big a stretch at the beginning, and so you have to kind of put those into your plan and recognise the fact that you can't do everything at the start, but you need to make sure you're on a journey. And that, you know, in terms of advice, you know, that's that's the first piece. Don't don't necessarily worry that you can't do everything that you want to do at the beginning, but make sure you know where you want to be. Um, and so, yeah, actually the nitrogen thing at this Copco, we were talking to them about um, you know the air services, the CO two delivery, and and uh, compressors and stuff. And and actually they um, kind of suggested it. Um, and, and realistically, when you need a compressor anyway, um, to add the nitrogen production was really quite cheap. Um, in, well, I think it was cheap in terms of what it was in, in pound upstairs. But in terms of the amount of CO2 that you would save and the cost of that, and it's not just the cost and, and it's, the, it's the transportation of it. You know, you're shifting CO2 around in big tankers and heavy bits of steel. Um and you don't need to do that anymore. Um, that's great. So, again, and the other thing, so then I'd say to, to, to brewers to think about is don't just look at it as cost. Right? It's like we're, we're not investing in a nitrogen generator just to be green. We're investing in it because it saves us money. <clears throat> um, you know, we don't need to buy lots of CO2. We take the nitrogen from the atmosphere and we flush the tanks with it. Um, and we've got a machine that does it, but it'll pay, it'll, it'll pay for itself. And so um, it, it's helping our, our commerciality to do some of these things. Um, and, and that's true, you know, across the board. Um, we, you know, we're lucky where we are in terms of being in the middle of a, of a rural agricultural area that getting rid of spent grain when you've got beef farms and dairy farms all around you is pretty easy. Um, so so that's good. Um, there are some obvious things that you can do in the brewery. And, and I think, again, people um, people do think about this, but maybe they don't think about it on quite enough scale. So heat exchanges, um, you know, you heat all this, <coughs> um, you heat all this, um, this liquor up, you turn it into boiling wort, and then you cool it down again. And in a lager brewery, you have to cool it down a lot. Um, so why don't you just grab as much of that heat as you can and heat up the next lot of hot liquor with it? So we, we've got a massive heat changer. But you, you need to cool it down, just get a bigger one and grab grab as much heat as you can. So we get our, our you know our, our hot liquor back into the tank um, through the heat exchanger at about 73 degrees or something. So um, 
as we're brewing more and more, um, you know, that's a massive saving in terms of energy use. We did the obvious things, you know, we put, um, I say the obvious, and maybe they're not obvious for everybody, um, but we put uh, movement sensing LED lighting in the brewery, because if you think about it in a brewery, we've got 10,000 square feet, and well, at the moment we've got three people in it. I think, you know, max, we'll probably ever have five people in it. Um all the time so why have the lights on um so we put that in um we'll, we'll then there's some things that we'll do later um and this was just the the, the capex thing so solar power um uh, great thing to do but with the the grants and stuff changed a bit it, it it's cost effective to do it but only when you get to a consumption level that, that you're using the energy that you're generating so yeah that's one that will do it but we'll only do it at a point when we're using enough electricity to be able to use the electricity that you generate, um, and and the one big challenge that we still have, which we're which we're working on, which is the next thing, really is is waste water, um, and that was the one thing that kind of I guess caught us out a little bit in terms of of just the the difficulty of getting rid of it. We don't have mains drainage here, so we either need to process the waste or we need to tanker it away. And at the moment we tanker it away because that's the only option we've got. Um, so we'll very soon start work on the, uh, we worked out a bio-waste treatment plant in the end. We looked at reed beds, you know, we needed about four acres of reeds and didn't really work. Um, so bio-waste treatment will work for us. Um, but you know, when we talk about you know, some things you need to do when you've got the capex available. Um, it will absolutely pay for itself in about three years, but you've got to find a hundred grand to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of one of those things that when you're when you're a startup, you go, you know, just park that over there for a minute. Because probably better off having some more fermenters than a wastewater tank. Um, but but it's always been on the list of things that that we will do, and that will that will be um, you know great to um, to do that. So. If you look at it then, so the wastewater's going, the nitrogen's replacing a lot of the CO2. We still need some CO2. Let's get rid of that um, completely, obviously. Um, solar on the roof will eventually provide all of our electricity, I think. So the one thing then that we'll have left when we're doing the waste to, to deal with um, is is the uh, heat generation. We're, we're steam, uh, our steam boiler is, is uh, LPG-powered. Um, so and and I don't think it's it was ever feasible to use um, you know a sustainable fuel source for that. So LPG is probably the lowest of the carbon fuels, um, the best if you like in terms of its its uh, credentials. But but we need to find a way to I guess offset that or, or or do that in a different way. So that's that's that will be the last kind of big thing in the puzzle for us. But we'll keep on that journey. We don't use any any plastic in our packaging. Um, you know, even to the extent that you know, we use paper packing tape because why would you use plastic tape? So, so we try and do as much of that as we can, um, and we try and you know, recycle everything that we can. And there's some things that you have to deal with, you know, not everyone's the same, so we get quite a lot of plastic come in from our suppliers that still needs to, to, to go back and get treated somewhere, but but even then, you know, we we get rid of twice as many recycle bins as we do rubbish bins um at the moment so you know that's a step and as we get bigger and we can be a bit more influential i think we'll you know try and make the case a bit stronger to our suppliers that you know we want them to try and do a bit more um, 
yeah. malt bags, I think, being a pretty common one that, you know, we, we think we found somebody that can recycle them. We haven't tested that out yet, but, um, you know, that's one that I think the industry as a whole um, needs to look at because there's a lot of 25 kilo bags of malt. I definitely agree about that. Um, we, our local baker, um, was giving away massive flour sacks, empty, empty flour sacks. Um, you know, the, and they're the big, robust paper sacks. Now, obviously, I know grain is probably. Actually, I'm gonna. I was about, I was about to say. Obviously, I know grain is is um, heavier than flour, but 25 kilos is 25 kilos, <laughs> regardless. Um, so, you know, I, I think. Well, if if you know. If bakers can get flour in a robust paper sack, why can't brewers get grain in the same kind of sack? So, um, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. it's probably a good thing for all brewers to put a bit of pressure on suppliers um, in the way that consumers put pressure on brewers to, you know, yeah. y- use cardboard carriers rather than plastic ones for, you know, six packs and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, yeah, and, and I think it, it, it's on their agendas. But but yeah, we'll you just just got to keep the pressure on. I think, um, and um, yeah, and I'll just reiterate that as well. Don't just because you can only do things in little steps doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You know, you should just take little steps. Um, don't work. We didn't. Uh, you know, mentioned early on that there's there's some really good economic arguments for doing these things, right? So it, it saves you money if you if you recycle things, if you reuse things, if you take heat out and, and reuse it somewhere else. That's saving you money. So um, you know, our wastewater processing will be cheaper than it would have been. Ultimately, it'll be cheaper than even if we were giving it to Southwest Water to to, to a main drainage system. Um, so. Yeah, it's just just do 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 something. Don't do nothing. Um, I think is the is the key because if everybody does something, uh, and, and even if it's a little bit, then you know lots of little bits eventually make a big bit. You know, so uh, um, I would certainly encourage people to to try and do that. And don't be worried if you you know if you can't you know you know, everyone's not going to become carbon neutral overnight right it's uh, maybe some of us never will but but have it as an ambition that you want to get there or as close as you can to it someday um and hopefully that that will help things improve and and we'll keep keep back to the point that playing back to the point that you made very very well and very um strongly early early doors that that we we can make a difference and we can reverse this um so we we all do a little bit still it'll, it'll it'll get better so where do you see the beer industry heading over the next few years especially in light of current circumstances how, how do you think it'll change both both for the better and i guess for the worse yeah that's a really great question and a really hard one to answer um i i i think it's still early days in terms of what happens next in the in this kind of lockdown period um you know, there's a lot of momentum and, and chat now about reopening and, you know, the latest one was the group of six or whatever and trying to get pubs open on the 22nd of June, 4th of July. And, um, you know, it just feels very early still to me, especially, you know, being in Devon and they're talking about our our rate down here being still pretty, you know, close to one. I think there's still a lot of risk in the system. 
Um, my one fear, one big fear, is is a second wave and shutting down again. And I think that crucifies our industry, if I'm honest. Um, so for me, I'd wait a bit longer and just be a little bit more sure that we're not going to get that. But but you know, I understand the pressures. It's easy for me to say, easier for me to say that because um, you know we're brewing and we've got a reasonable amount of. Um, of, of online sales now and small pack sales and so we're still trading if you're a pub that's been shut for no outside space for 12 weeks i can absolutely understand that the world looks very different to you so so and i have huge sympathy um with with those with those people um but but a second wave will will cruise for our industry because there won't be the same amount of government support available it just won't be you know and and um and, and we'll miss the summer so if we can avoid that, then um, you know I think there are some good things that have come out of this. I think uh, from our sector, from our segment of it, if you like the independent groups, I think you know you hear stories every day of, of independent brewers who have successfully transitioned to small pack. Yeah, you know, I mentioned at the beginning as well. You know, our website in January, February, five orders, not that many more than that in December, to be honest. Um, now it's sort of three, four hundred in a month. Um, that that's replicated across a lot of independent brewers. People are now buying direct from brewers and and, and bottle shops. But, but what that means more people are being exposed to the independent sector. That's the key thing for me. You know, let's um, you know we need people to to kind of shift a bit um, and, and become more aware. So awareness, I think, of of um, of independent sectors probably improved, and at the same time. You, know, you still had loads of beer being in from the big guys being shipped out from the supermarkets in big slabs for ten pound a slab. So you kind of got these two competing factions. Um, uh, but but I think um, awareness is good. I think pubs reopening is important. Um, let's not do it too soon um, to to increase the risk. But. And I, so, I mean, the, the sad fact is that, that I think some people in the brewing world and in, in the pub world in the early days won't, won't make it. Um, so it's really sad, but I'm afraid I think it's true. Um, so there will be, you know, perhaps a few less players, maybe a few less independent sites. Um, but, but like we were talking about the planet earlier on, you know, industries and, and industries like ours, we're about, you know, people meeting with other people. For, you know, whatever we say, you know, we produce beer, but really this is a social thing that we do. We're in a social industry. That's why, that's why I first got interested in beer because I worked in a pub as soon as I could when I was 18 years old. And, and if you, everywhere you go, you, people in the industry either – because they worked in pubs or they worked in restaurants or they were home brewers and they used to go to a home brewer club. It's a social industry. So you, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it, it will reinvent itself. It will it will recover a bit like the planet. It might take a while, um, but, but people will always want to go out and meet other people and, and the pub and the bar is, is a great place to do that and sharing beers in the garden or over a barbecue is you know, fundamentally what, what we're about as an industry. So yeah, I think it'll be painful for a little while, but, but uh, I'm, I'm confident that it will, it will reinvent itself. And hopefully, um, you know, the, 
there is always trend there is always you know kind of lots of chatter not just in our industry across the board in terms of people being more concerned about provenance of the suppliers about um you know artisan about buying more local about shopping local about supporting local industries um the the fact that, that everyone has been back in their communities and, and much more local focused can only reinforce that. And, and for us in the independent sector, that can only be good news. Absolutely. Well, um, thanks for being on the show, Richard. Um, you know, I'd, I'd certainly recommend to our listeners, if they've not had your beers, to, to definitely try them, especially Rainbok. How do they do that? Well, the... the um, We've got an increasing set of, as I said, of independent suppliers, and they're great. And we have a so we have a map on our website where you can find your local bottle shops that are stocking us, and, and hopefully we keep that pretty up to date. And you know, we'd always encourage um, your listeners to to go to their local bottle shops and support because that doesn't doesn't support us; that supports the entire industry. Um, and the more they do that, the more you know people like me there will be out there to to, to introduce more variety. Um, if they can't find it in a bottle shop, then they can go online and we're www.utopianbrewing.com forward slash shop, um, and we've got a, a range of uh, mix boxes and and different things on there, and some of our glassware which um, which which people seem to like too. Um, so yeah, try your bottle shops. If you can't find any bottle shops, um, time to phone me and. Um, and then the last and last resort, do come on the shop. Um, and uh, and uh, there's there's a few big guys. Lathwaite's um, I've got it on their site now, which is which is great. So um, you know, increasingly, but yeah, keep watching the website for where you can buy it. Um, tell your bottle shop if they're not listing it. But if, as a last resort, certainly go to the go to the website. Amazing, thank you. Great, thanks very much. It's been a great pleasure. Good talking to you. Today's episode of the Hopford podcast was proudly sponsored by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts and vehicles, coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years, means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,